welcome to Elevate. How are you guys doing tonight? Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. That's awesome. Awesome stuff. Man, it's getting a little chilly outside. Um, it's getting really chilly, actually. I, it was so nice last week, and I was like, oh, it's so warm. I hope it stays like this forever. Me and Caitlin, we, we put up our sp uh, spring decor in the house. I know it's such an adult thing to do, but we put up all our spring decorations, and I, I bought like a spring candle and like all these things. I'm going to buy, I was going to buy like a spring uh, coffee flavoring for my coffees, because I have like really sugared coffees, because I... I'm, I'm not a man, I guess. Like, I brought, like, we were getting, we were, like, totally gearing up for spring, and then, you know, it got cold again. I was like, okay, all right, Missouri, thank you so much. Okay, so um, we are continuing our 100-Day Dare series, and before we do that, I'm looking for somebody who wants to come up and to pray with us and do the pop. Addy, you raise your hand, please. Come on up. You had such a good word last week. You can pray. Come on up. Give her a round of applause, you guys. You can do it. So, so what are you going to do? Oh, you just say, you know, just pray, like say, you know, God's going to be with us tonight, and it's going to be a good night. Yeah, easy. And then you're going to do three, two, one. All right, I'll hold it for you. Uh, dear God, we thank you for Pastor Sean and his message, and we pray that you're here with us tonight, and you guide us through the passage. Amen. All right, now do it. Three, two, one. Whoever awesome. There was like five people that did it before. That was awesome. That was awesome. Yeah, I know, right? Addy did a great job. You guys are all drinking pop, so I'm not going to have you clap like I normally do. I've learned my lesson. I, I, I promise. I've learned my lesson. Okay, so like I said, we're continuing the 100-Day Dare, and um, we hit the point, I believe it was today. Um, I, I sometimes read ahead, and so I, I don't I know I'm not, this isn't a brag, but I don't always remember what we read today. But today, I believe, was the crucifixion. Is anybody caught up? Yes, okay. Crucifixion of Jesus. That is a, that is a big story of Jesus. But um, I, what I want to talk about, and you might be wondering what this is all about, I want to talk about the act and the tradition of communion. And if you can't see, I've got like a, I've got like a big loaf of bread up here. And I've got juice. This is juice. This isn't wine. This is juice. Um, well, I, w I really want to talk about communion tonight and how that ties with the cross and what that means for us today. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you like a really brief overview of the Bible to this point where we're at in the 100 Day Dare, which again is the crucifixion. And here, here we go. So, you know, God, he was, he wanted, he wanted people, he wanted children um, that truly loved him. Right? So he wanted children that truly loved him, so he created humanity, and he gave them a free will. Because you can't have love that's forced. It has to be a choice. So he created humanity, he gave them free will, and of course what had happened is the humans, they didn't choose God, they chose not to love God, they chose to be a rebel, to do their own way, pride, yada, 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 and they were forever separated from God. Humanity was forever separated from God. We were forever separated from God, because God and sin cannot coexist. That God and sin cannot coexist. And so when Adam and Eve got separated from the garden, they got sin out of the garden, God, create, God was obviously very sad because forever they were going to be doomed to hell they, in, in the hell that they have created. And so God begins to cook up this rescue plan, this amazing rescue plan for his people, for the children he created. And what God did is he talked to Abraham, and he said, hey, look, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to make your people holy. I'm going to set them apart for my purposes. 
And so God talked to Abraham, and he made them holy, set apart. And he did that through creating rituals, traditions, feasts, lots of different things to set them apart and make them holy, where they had to sacrifice lambs. They had to do all these things to pay for their sin. Because the Bible says that the price of sin is death. So something had to happen. They couldn't just, God couldn't just waive the cost of sin, right? Like that wouldn't be a just God. And you see time and time and time and time and time and time again where the Israelites over and over and over again tried and failed, tried and failed, tried and failed. And if you had to sum up the Old Testament with like one phrase, it's that we could never try enough to be holy. We could never work enough. We could never be perfect enough on earth to be holy enough for God. Because that's the level of holiness, and that's the standard that God not, not only just wants, but he requires and even needs. Like, he cannot settle for less. And this brings us to the turning point in history. This brings us to the turning point, the possible turning point for every person that ever existed. And the Bible says that when fullness of time was ready, when the time was right, that God would send his son, Jesus, to be the spotless lamb to die for our sins. Jesus being born as a baby who lived a perfect, sinless life to pay the price for the sin. Because again, sin has to have a price. God is 100% grace, he's 100% mercy, but he's also 100% justice, right? So he couldn't just waive the cost of sin. Sin had to be paid, and Jesus paid the price. Jesus performed miracles to prove he was God, but he died to prove he was man. And the cost that Jesus paid was so immense, but the reward is the reward we get to reap, and that is eternal life with him. And so to paint a picture of the end of Jesus' life, I want to show you guys this video that I stumbled across this week. And I don't want you to watch this video like it's a teaching. I don't want you to watch this video like it's a lesson. I don't want to watch it as, don't even watch it as a Bible story. I want you to look at it as a story that you're a part of. Look at it as a story. Feel the things the story feels. Put yourself in the narrative. To feel the things the story makes us feel. To settle in, put ourselves in the story. Get passionate, get invested into the story. This story begins when Jesus is entering Jerusalem for the final time in his life. He knows something big is about to go down. He knows history is riding on this moment as he is riding on that donkey into Jerusalem. Something big is about to happen. He knows the pain he's about to endure. He knows the struggles. He knows every slash of the whip that's about to be brought upon him later that week. And so as we look at the end of Jesus's life, I want us to get invested in this story and begin to feel the things that he feels. So let's watch. So we're walking through the gospel of Luke and we've reached the end of Jesus's long road trip to Jerusalem. He's arrived. So he rides a donkey down the Mount of Olives towards the city and all these crowds are forming and people are singing, praise the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're laying down their cloaks in front of him. Now why all this royal treatment? Okay, so Israel's ancient prophets promised that one day God himself would arrive and rescue his people and rule the world. Other times the prophet spoke about a coming king who would ride into Jerusalem to bring justice and peace. So Jesus is activating all these hopes that he's that king and everyone's ecstatic. 
Well, not everybody. The religious leaders, they think Jesus is a threat to their power and so they're not happy. But even more striking, Jesus himself is distraught. He's actually weeping as he rides. Yeah, why? Well, Jesus can see what is coming. He knows that he won't be accepted as Israel's king. And he knows that Israel will keep going down a destructive path, neglecting the poor, stirring up rebellion against their Roman oppressors. And he knows that it will lead to death. It breaks his heart. And it riles him up. The first thing he does in Jerusalem is march into the temple courts and he drives out the money changers, disrupting the entire sacrificial system. Yeah, he's staging a prophetic protest and he stands in the center of the courtyard shouting out words from Israel's ancient prophets. This is supposed to be a place of worship, but you've made it a den of rebels. A den of rebels? Yeah, he's quoting from the prophet Jeremiah, who stood in this same spot, the center of Israel's religious and political power. And he offered the same critique of Israel's leaders, that they're rebellious and corrupt. And they get the message and start to plan to have him killed. Which is no surprise to Jesus. In fact, he planned that all of this would happen during Passover. This is the Holy Week when Jewish people celebrate their ancient story of how God liberated them from slavery and invited them into a covenant relationship. And so Jesus uses the symbols of Passover to reveal the meaning of his coming death. The broken bread was his broken body, and the wine was his blood that would establish a new covenant relationship between God and Israel. Jesus was going to die for his people and open up a new way forward. After the meal, Jesus takes his disciples to a garden to pray. And he struggles with the very human desire to save his life instead of sacrificing it. But he overcomes this temptation. And it's here where the religious leaders with the temple guards find him and arrest him. Now, Jerusalem was being ruled by the Roman Empire. And so the temple leaders couldn't execute Jesus without permission from their Roman governor, a man named Pontius Pilate. And so they make up this charge that Jesus is a rebel king stirring up revolution against the Roman emperor. Pilate asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers, you say so. So Pilate can see that Jesus is an innocent man and he doesn't deserve death. But the leaders keep insisting that he is dangerous. So they negotiate a compromise. Pilate will release an actual rebel against Rome, a man named Barabbas, instead of Jesus. And so the innocent is handed over in the place of the guilty. Jesus is taken away with two other accused criminals and nailed to a Roman execution device. And people are mocking him. Hey, if you're the messianic king, save yourself and us. But Jesus loved his enemies to the very end, offering hope to one of the criminals dying beside him. And he even prayed for his executors. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then the sky darkened as an innocent man died the death of a rebel. And then Jesus cried out with ancient words from Israel's Psalms, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then Jesus died, innocent and alone. So that's a very powerful image to have. It's a very powerful image. Jesus died a long, painful death, innocent, alone, afraid. The cross was actually so painful that in the current language, there wasn't even a word to describe the pain that it felt to be executed on a cross. There wasn't, they actually had to invent a new word to even capture the essence of what it felt like. It's excruciating. 
excruciating literally translates to out of a cross or from a cross or pain similar to that being crucified. The picture of Jesus dying on a cross is an, is an incredible one, but it's also a very sobering one as well. You know, Jesus, he was forced to carry his own cross on a hilltop called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And it was called such because the hill that it was on actually looked, resembled a human skull, like the shape of the hill resembled a human skull. So Jesus, he carried his own execution device on a hill that looks like a human skull so that he can die an excruciating death as an innocent man. The image that this produces is just incredible. He died for humanity on a place called the skull. And before all this happened, before he died on the cross, before he was arrested, before he was accused, before he was whipped, let's rewind the tape just a little bit. Let's go to earlier that day. Jesus was, hang- Jesus was eating dinner with some of his best friends. Jesus was eating dinner, dinner with some of his best friends because the week had happened, you know, coincidentally to be Passover week. And the dinner that Jesus ate with his friends was called the Last Supper. And Jesus arranged for them to have this one last meal together on the day that he died. And so let's pick it up. It's in Luke chapter 22. I'm going to read it to you guys. And we're going to see what Jesus did. What was so significant about the Last Supper? Why are there so many paintings and illustrations about the Last Supper? Let's see the significant thing that Jesus did during the Last Supper. It says, when Jesus arrived at the upper room, he took his place at the table along with the apostles. He told them, I have longed with passion and desire to eat this Passover lamb. Now, I don't know about you guys, but have you ever longed with passion and desire to eat some food? I can tell you, like, that's like every day of my life. I have longed with passion and desire to eat this Passover lamb with you before I endure my sufferings. I promise to you that the next time that we eat this, we'll be together in the feast of God's kingdom. You know, Jesus is saying, hey, this is, this is the last moment I'm having with you guys. This is my last meal with you guys. The next time we're going to have a meal together, it's going to be in heaven. Like, it's going to be a while, you guys. Then he raised up his cup and gave thanks to God and saying to them, take this and pass it to one another and drink. I promise to you, the next time we drink this wine, we will be together at the feast of God's kingdom. He's reminding them, hey, this is, this is it. And what's funny is how many times, the, the amount of times that Jesus reminded these disciples that he was going to die and then three days later raise again. And the amount of times that the disciples are just completely clueless and have no idea what's going on after Jesus died is just astounding. Like, I don't know how dumb you have to be to, like, not catch the picture. But Jesus is telling them, hey, this is it. This is it. This is it. I'm going to die. It's going to be next week. Oh, okay, it's tomorrow. All right, it's tonight. This is the last meal. And they're just like, uh, okay, I don't understand, Jesus. But, okay, so he's saying, this is the last meal. This is it. This is the last supper. So then he lifted up his bread, and after praying a prayer of thanksgiving to God, he gave each of his disciples a piece of bread, and he said this. This is what's really important. This is what he said. He said, this loaf is my body. It's like my body, which is now being offered to you. Always eat this to remember me. He's he's setting a standard here. He's saying, hey, this, this this is like my body. Eat this to remember me. After the supper was over, he lifted up his cup, and he said, this cup is my blood of the new covenant I am making with you. And soon it will be poured out for all of you. You know, Jesus, he was doing much 
much more than just eating dinner with his friends. He was doing much, much more than that. He was having the first ever communion. The first ever communion. Has anyone here ever taken communion before? Just, yeah, most of us probably have. If you've been in the church at any length of time, you've probably taken communion before. And that's what I really want to talk about is the act and the tradition of taking communion together, especially as a church. And there's a lot of different ways people take communion. I, I've got like uh, an example here. Some, there's some people that do like the old-fashioned way where they will like actually take a big loaf of bread and break it up for everybody. Um, there's some people that, you know, they'll, they'll pass around a big cup of, I'm spilling everywhere, they all pass around a big cup of uh, wine and just everyone's drinking out of the same cup, um, which sounds really gross. I, I can't even imagine the backwash, but if you're the last person, I'm sorry, like you, you're going to need some extra holy water or something. Like, I don't know, but my, <laughs> there's a, I, I didn't ask him if I could share this story. It's fine. He, does, he shared it before. There's the story of my dad when he was a kid. He was probably like 10 or 11. And he, he, you know, him and his family, like his dad, they, they would travel all around America like in school buses, just going to different churches and helping them out. And he went to a church where they, they had like a big bowl of, of this liquid that they passed around to the entire church. And the church didn't have AC or air conditioning. So my dad is sitting in the church the whole, like, you know, hour and a half long service, just sweating, like, so much, and he's just really sweaty, really hot. And then this big bowl of fluids comes around, and he's like, oh, I am so thirsty. So he takes, like, three big gulps out of it, and he had no idea that it was actual wine. <laughs> like, he just, like, as a 10-year-old, he had, like, big gulps of actual wine, and needless to say, he had a headache for a bad headache the rest of the day and the next morning. But point is that people do communion all different ways. You know, at Journey, we typically do, uh, you know, prepackaged communion where it's like, it's, it's pretty cool. It's got like the top part, it's got a little bread piece and the bottom has a little liquid. So people do communion all different ways. But what Jesus was doing that was significant in this Last Supper was he was instituting the first ever communion. And so this is what I want to talk about tonight. My main thing is what is communion? What even is communion? And we might have questions that we ask ourselves, like, why is communion important? Why do some churches do it a different way than other churches? Do I need to do communion? You know, does it have to be wine? Does it, can it be grape juice? Like, all these different questions. And what I want to say is, all those questions that you have about communion or about the Bible, or about God, they are all 100% completely valid questions to ask. And I'm glad you're thinking those questions. I'm glad that you're, you're having those questions. And Caitlin said a few weeks ago, I believe it was Caitlin, that she said it's even okay to doubt. You know, God is so much bigger than our doubts and our questions. God is so, he's not afraid of our doubts. Listen, if God was afraid of our doubts, I don't know if I'd want to follow that God. Because God is bigger. He can handle our doubts and our questions. So what I want to do is tonight I want to take a moment and talk about the significance of communion, the significance of the bread and of the juice. And so let's, let's, let's talk about the bread. So Jesus said in that passage that the bread represents Jesus' body. Okay, so I know this can sound gross, but that's what the point is. The bread is representing of his body. What Jesus was saying in the first communion, that his body was about to break on the cross, just like this bread was broken for us. You know, again, like when Jesus did it, he had the same loaf of bread that he broke into different pieces. And the bread represents his body. 
And so in John, Jesus said that he is the bread of life. And so Jesus, this isn't the first time he's used the bread analogy before. He said that he's the bread of life. And that just like natural bread that we need, just like natural food that we need to sustain us, Jesus sustains us spiritually. And what can happen is if we don't have enough bread, natural or spiritual, we'll get hungry. We'll start to starve and become malnourished. And what Jesus was saying is like, hey, look, I'm the bread that sustains you. And so the body, or the bread represents the body that was broken for us. And we're going to talk more about that later. But now let's talk about the juice, the wine, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And this represents the blood that was spilled for us. This represents the, uh, the blood that Jesus spilled on the cross to pay for our sins. Back in the old covenant, or the old promises, the old contract, whatever you want to say, um, I, I said this before, but to pay for their sins a spotless lamb had to die. And a spotless lamb, a perfect lamb that didn't commit the sin had to have its blood shed. And that, that might sound weird, but that's how seriously God has an opinion on sin. The Bible says that the cost of sin is death. So every time they sinned, every time they sinned or committed a sin against God, a new animal sacrifice would have to happen. And the thing is, the animal sacrifice didn't change the heart of the person who sinned. It just changed the status of the sin. And I believe that's one of the big differences of Jesus being the spotless lamb. Because when Jesus paid the price, he's not trying to just change the status. He's trying to change our heart. Because what would happen is they would, they would you know, sacrifice the lamb. The blood would be shed, but they wouldn't change. They would keep on sinning. I'm not saying you have to be perfect, but I'm saying there should be a heart change in there when we accept Jesus. All the early sacrifices in the Old Testament had an emphasis on blood in the Old Covenant. But what they were is they were just a picture of what Jesus was going to be. The Bible calls Jesus the perfect spotless lamb. You don't even have to like squint to see the analogy. They, he literally, the Bible literally calls Jesus the spotless lamb. And he died on the cross to pay for our sins with his blood once and for all. John 19.30, he's on the cross, he's about to die, he's dying, and he says, it is finished. It is finished. You know, so the old covenant, it changed just the status of the sin, but the new covenant, Jesus is supposed to change our hearts. And I think that's a big key difference. And that's what the juice represents. So when we drink the juice, we remember the sacrifice that Jesus had for us to get us into God's family. So when we take communion, the elements and the materials of the communion should not be the focus. You know, I don't know if we think it is or not, but we, like I said, churches do it all different ways. Some people use bread, some people use crackers, um, some people use juice, some people use wine. The communion elements are not the focus. It doesn't matter what you're eating, what you're drinking, how you drink it, when you drink it. The focus is why. The focus is what are we thinking about when we take communion. The focus is um, the important thing is that what Jesus did for us is significant. So we're going to take its time to remember that. The important thing that's happening is that we're giving God glory and we're allowing our hearts to change. Not just the status of our sin to change, but our hearts and our lifestyle to change. Again, it doesn't matter what you eat and drink. Like for real, you can use Mountain Dew and garlic bread. That's communion. Seriously, go home, buy Mountain Dew and garlic bread and have communion in your room. Like it really doesn't matter. I, I really don't believe it matters. But 
the important thing is allowing, is giving God glory, magnifying God, and allowing our hearts to change. And taking a second and thinking about what God has done for us. And so I'm really excited because tonight, we're actually, later tonight, we're actually going to have the opportunity to take communion together. And this is something that I think we've done one other time at Elevate, but I don't know if, how many of you guys would even, were even there for that. But this is honestly something I want to do more often here because it's so, I believe it's so significant and it's so important for us to remember that. And so I have three different words I want you to remember as we take communion. And to help you guys remember that, I created an acronym for that. And the acronym, I believe this is an acronym, someone correct me. The acronym is RED. You know, so there's going to be an R word, an E word, and a D word. So the acronym is RED, and to help you remember that, it's the color of the juice. Okay? So you take communion, and you're like, oh, I know it's purple, I'm aware, but it looks red, and it's close enough. So the acronym is the color of the juice, and it's red, yes. It's kind of hard to see on the screen. But, so we're going to get into that. It'll be, a, it'll be a good memory device for you guys to remember. So the R in red is remember, remember what Jesus did for you. And so when we take communion... Whenever we do it, if it's at your house, if it's three months from now at church, if it's tonight, the first thing we need to do is remember what Jesus did for us. As we eat the cracker, as we eat the bread, as we drink the juice, as we drink the Mountain Dew, we need to remember that those are symbols to remind us that Jesus died for you. We need to remember that those, these are just a symbol of what Jesus has done for you. It's just a symbol that Jesus has brought you into this family. I want to look at that scripture from the Last Supper. Again, it's in Luke chapter 22. It says, He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples. This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. How many of you guys are driving on the roads right now? You guys are driving. Okay, we got a decent amount. Yeah, decent amount. That's awesome. So I want you to think about it. Like you're driving on the road, I want you to think of communion like it's a road sign. Now don't think about it too hard, because the analogy starts to break down if you think about it too hard. But think about it like it's a road sign. You're driving on the road, you're going to the best restaurant in Liberty. I'm talking about Taco Bell, anybody? Yeah, Taco Bell. Okay, there it is. <laughs> I was so worried that I was going to do that, and then like nobody would say anything. I'm just standing up here looking like an idiot. But okay, Taco Bell, you're driving on the road, you're going to Taco Bell. And you see a road sign that's like this. Let's throw up that first road sign. Okay, you see a road sign that's like this. Who can tell me what this means? Just shout it out. Jake. What does that say? Uh, I don't believe so. Slippery road. Slippery road. Go back to driving school. Are, Are you driving, Jake? Jake, are you driving? Okay. That means slippery road. Let's throw up the next one. Next road sign. Who can tell me what this means? Merge. Merge. Yeah. Merge. Okay. Last one. This monstrosity. That looks like an alien glyph. Roundabout. Someone said roundabout. Yeah. It is a roundabout. In Liberty, we've got a few of those. We've got a few of those. All right. Let's get back on track here. So I want you to think about communion. I want you to think about the bread and the wine as a road sign. Why? Because a road sign is a symbol of something significant that either has happened or is about to happen. Okay? And that's what a road sign does. It's saying, hey, this is important for you to think about. This is important for you to remember. And that's a symbol of something that's significant that has happened or is about to happen. And I want you to think about communion as a road sign. 
So like when you see this, think of that weird diamond shape with the slippery road or the windy road as Jake calls it. So communion is a symbol of something significant that has happened and is about to happen. So that's the R. R is remember. Everybody say remember. remember. Good job. All right. Let's move on to the E. So we got R, E. E is examine. Examine your heart and your motives. So when we take communion, we need to remember what God did for us, and then we need to examine our heart and our motives. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28 says, this is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. I feel like it's pretty self-explanatory. If you want to know the context, you can read the chapter. But he's just talking about how, you know, if you have an unforgiveness towards your brother, go and ask for forgiveness before you take communion. If you have wrong motives, check your motives before you take communion. You know, communion is a very serious deal. Communion is a big deal. When you take communion, I believe that's a perfect time to ask yourself, hey, am I harboring unforgiveness in my heart that I need to make right now? And if you are, ask God for forgiveness. Fix it. You know, you need to think, am I living a lifestyle that is worthy of the broken body and the blood? Am I doing things in my life that is worthy of the calling that God has for me? And if not, ask God to show you the areas you need to improve. And so we need to remember and we need to examine. Everybody say examine. 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 When we take communion, we remember and we examine. And what I want to do right now is before we move on to the third letter, I want to actually invite our worship team to come on up. Whoever is doing the communion song. This is a little behind the scenes for you guys. Okay. So we remember and we examine. That's R-E. Now let's talk about D. And D is draw close. Everybody say draw close. Draw close. When we take communion, we remember what God did, we examine our heart and our motives, and we draw close to God and to others and to our family and to our church. Communion is an invitation to get closer to God and to each other. Believe it or not, communion is a time for community, right? That's why it's called communion. So communion is a time for community. A lot of times, you know, we have... Like I said, we have those pre-prepared um, communion elements, and I think that's great, and it makes it easy, but I think we're missing something significant about having like the actual bread, big loaf of bread that's being torn apart, because it symbolizes this is one piece of bread that we are all taking a part of. Because Jesus, he died for us all, whether young or old, you know, rich, poor, healthy, sick, new believer, been a believer our whole life, and it's time for unity. So I want to ask, uh, I've got a couple of volunteers who are going to bring out the trays onto these tables up in the front, and what we're about to do is we are about to take communion together, and so when, I'm going to pray here in a second, and then I want to invite you all to come up, grab a, grab a communion piece, it's in a handy little, you know, nifty little thing up here, and then what we're going to do during communion is we're just going to uh, go through the three, the three things to remember. To, re to remember what God did for us, to examine our hearts and our motives, and to draw close to God and each other. And if you've never taken communion before, or if it seems like scary, or like you don't really know what to do, it's okay. There's, there's no way that you can mess up. Like, there's, you, you can't do it wrong. The point is, we want to magnify God, we want to examine our heart, and we're going to draw close to God and to each other. And if you want to, I want to encourage you that if you want to get in a little group, like of two or three people and do it together, that, that's acceptable as well. But I just want, you, I would want the focus to be magnifying God, not magnifying our conversation or magnifying our friendship. We need to remember who God is, examine our heart, and draw close to God and each other. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, 
we're going to come up here and take communion, and then um, we're going to do that. So if you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me, Father, I just thank you for what we are about to experience together in this act of communion, that you will help us remember who you are. Help us examine our heart and draw close to you closer. God, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for the blood you've paid for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, come on up front. Grab communion. You can grab it for your friends if you want. And we're going to take this together. Yeah, we take communion to remember, examine, and to draw close. To remember what Jesus paid for on the cross. To remember the price that he paid. To examine our life and to draw closer to God and to each other. But thankfully for our sake that Jesus didn't end on the cross. That wasn't the end of his story, and that's not the end of our story either. One of the most favorite, famous scriptures in the world is John 3, 16 through, 20, through 21. And as we close here, I'm going to read that to you guys to give you guys encouragement and hope. It says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. The judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than light. They loved their actions more than God. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go, refuse to go near the light, for their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right comes into the light, so they are doing what God wants. You know, something powerful is that God does not send people to hell. I hear that a lot. God sends people to hell. God's sending you to hell. No, God does not send people to hell. Listen to this. Sin ultimately does not send people to hell either. Jesus paid the price for sin. What sends people to hell is their own unbelief. Is it's happening to themselves. So what I want to do right now is I want to give you an invitation to start living, to take the first step, to start living the life worthy of the body and the blood. I'm not asking you to punch your ticket into heaven. I'm not asking you to say a quick prayer, then move on with your life. Uh, what I'm saying is I want you to, I want to give you an invitation to start walking a lifestyle that is Christ-like. Listen, you don't have to know what it's all about. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to all figured out. You don't even have to, you don't have to clean up your language right now. You don't have to clean up your lifestyle right now. What I want to do is for you to take an effort to right now say, hey, I'm not perfect. I'm not going to be perfect. My situations aren't going to be perfect, but I want to take the first step. I want to at least take the first step. Listen, I, you, you don't need to figure out your sin. That's God's problem. And God already fixed that problem. You don't need to figure out your lifestyle immediately. It's going to happen later. It'll happen when the Holy Spirit works on you. And what I'm inviting you to do right in this moment is not to say a quick magical prayer, not to do any of that, but to invite you into the first step. And that's all I'm asking for you, you guys. So let's, right now, what we're going to do is we're going to bow our heads. We're going to close our eyes. I don't want anybody looking around the room. If I'm speaking to you, if what I'm saying right now is resonating with you, all I want you to do is respond just by raising your hand and say, I'm going to take that first step. By raising your hand, you're saying, I'm taking that first step. Maybe this is the first step I've ever taken in my life. Or maybe I've done this a thousand times before, but I keep falling away. Either way, God's saying, hey, start again, start again, start again, start again. Take that first step. 
what I want to do right now is I just want to pray over everyone in this room. Father, I thank you for drawing everyone close here. I thank you for drawing your people in. And I thank you for those who responded and said, I'm going to take that first step. I pray that you strengthen them and give them strength and encouragement and surround them with people who are going to love them. Surround them with situations that are going to say, hey, I, God loves you. God, we thank you for this act of communion, that it's not some ritual we have to do all the time or anything like that, but it's, it's for us. It serves, it's for us to magnify you. It's for us to set it right. It's for us to draw closer together. God, we thank you for your blood and for the excruciating pain on the cross that you endured for us, God. Jesus, we love you so much. God, we thank you for what you're doing inside of us. We thank you for what you have done, what you are doing, what you will do. Jesus, we love you and, we, and you love us more than we ever could love you. And if you believe that, let's give God one last shout of praise in this house tonight. Amen. Listen, everybody, it was incredible taking communion with you guys. I can't wait to do it again in the future. But until then, hey, register for the Bold Conference. It's kind of coming up. So you can do that journeykc.com slash bold. We have pamphlets in the back. But until then, I will see you guys next week. You guys are dismissed. Have a good week.